This week on Inside the Ropes, Ali Whitaker's back. Whoop! International Women's Day coming at you. Gotta love it. Karen Lund joins us, Jan Jelliff joins us, and Blakey. Yes, Hazy, I'm back. <laughs> Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes. Uh, If I've done my maths correctly, we're at episode 198. That's a total guess. I might have to re-record this later. But if we do, I'm in very good hands. Joined today uh, by Martin Blake, becoming a very regular part of the show. Welcome, Blakey. Hello, Hazy. I'm very happy to be here and very happy to be here with our next guest as well, who I haven't seen for a long time. No, and we're going to get to the bottom of this soon. But our very special uh, co-host today, um, back from jaunts around the world with the European tour for this International Women's Week. Ali, welcome back and congrats on International Women's Week personally and as a, as a, as a gender. Alison Whitaker joining us again on Inside the Ropes. Oh, it is so good to be back. I can't even I can't even tell you. It's just good to be in Melbourne and good to see your smiling faces. Not you know doing that weird thing with with the earphones yeah. and then like dialing into the to the app and uh, and then just doing like the weird awkward Skype hand movements behind the scenes. Three microphones sitting around a table. This is brilliant. Perfect. And and we need to ask you about. You know, with your European tour stuff, which we'll come to in a minute, you've come back, you've done your quarantine, which definitely has put a spark in your eye to be out of that, Would I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? It, it's a privilege to be able to do it. That's the reality. There's so many people that would kill to have um, the opportunity to come back home from abroad. Uh, so I'll start there. But I've done a month of it in the last three months, wow. which um, when you're in one room and in Australia, you can't leave your room. Um, you get delivered food when they are ready, when, when your food's ready. And... Uh, uh, and you know what? It's just—it's a really fascinating mental challenge being in there, in terms of kind of the idea of being cooped up and, and so you, what that does to to your brain. Based on what you said a second ago, you know, you feel like you're privileged to have been able to do it. Is that your mindset when you're in the room? Yeah, oh, it has to be. Really? I think that got me through my first stint. I was so so thankful that I even got home for Christmas. I, I think I landed on. December 2nd, um, I'd done two weeks in South Africa. And when I left for South Africa, I didn't have a flight home. And they were like, wow. it was a four stopover situation. And I was like, there's no way that I'm ever going to get back. And then luckily, um, I was checking the flights every day and one popped up, emailed um, our, our production manager, who they were total legends throughout all of it. Because I was kind of the only one in this situation, whereas everyone could come and go f- quite freely from their countries without any hotel quarantine and without having to kind of deal with the changing... Um, Regulations, so they were they were brilliant. So I was just stoked to be home for Christmas, to be honest with you. Well, let's keep talking about it. We're, we're halfway down the path now. Well, you, you know, you, you got to spend the uh, I guess the first few weeks of the European Tour season. It's been so disjointed, but you got to be part of it. I did, which was great. Uh, to, three weeks uh, on the desert swing: Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and uh, and Saudi. And gosh, we had everything thrown at us those three weeks. You would not believe the things that goes on behind the scenes during those weeks. Like the the changes of um, of regulations, like the second week we had, so I'd say about 80% of our crew is English. And the second week it looked as though all 80% were going to have to do two weeks of hotel quarantine oh, wow. on their way oh. back. So you can imagine what the mood was like on site. They, fi- they found this out on the Friday, while we're, like we're on air, as all of this stuff's changing. So then all of the production managers have to change everything 
and get the contingency plans. And then it's just honestly, it's like throwing darts at a dartboard that keeps moving. And uh, they just did such a brilliant job. They were probably the, the most crucial part, I would say, um, those yeah, those poor people that had to stay on top of that and try and get everyone's travel arrangements in in, in hand. But yeah, there was some curveballs. Yeah. Do you think that we as punters, like Blakey and I, sitting back here watching it on telly, not I'm not just talking purely telly. I'm talking about actually getting the tournament up and running. Have any idea of the logistics involved this year? No. Oh no. There's stuff that surprised me. Uh, so, for example, Saudi Arabia. Everything is arranged, say, a month out. Everything's booked, locked, ready to go. There's about 100 crew that are on site. And Saudi changed the entry requirements that if that you had to have been outside the UAE for at least two weeks. So bear in mind that we have a tournament in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and all of that, that crew was meant to be going essentially to Saudi. And so you, you kind of had to... I'm trying to think of the exact thing, but essentially they had to fly people in and quarantine them for two weeks as a precautionary plan to Saudi. But all of that changed two weeks out. So it was literally like had it happened, mm. you know, two weeks later, the whole tournament would have been fine. But it just, it was like pulling the rug out from um, from everyone's feet and then they had to come up with these new plans. So they did an unbelievable job, but all of us just had to think on the fly. Like I did so many roles that I was not signed up for. Mm. But I which, you know, it's like you're doing these roles covering for people and the water's just slowly rising mm. and you can feel it and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm in over my head, but there's no other option than to try and sell it. Um, yeah, we been, have a few of those. There have been voices there that we've become accustomed to over the years who aren't necessarily there much, if at all, anymore. Mm. Uh, gives you a different role. Um, how did that all pan out for you? Uh, that was interesting. So, yeah, there've been a couple. Like, you know, Sam Torrance left um, the year before last, and uh, and Doogie Donnelly, and I actually didn't realise that he was leaving until the week that he announced that he was leaving. And uh, it's it's tricky because I'm a big fan of the old voices yeah. and and those classic voices, and I and I really like it. Obviously, I'm kind of the antithesis to that in a lot of ways where you have this young woman <laughs> coming into a men's tour that ha- you know I've lived women's golf. I haven't lived men's golf. So, you know, I can quote shots from 10 years ago in the women's game, but to do the same in the men's game when you're not there and seeing them unfold um, live is actually quite difficult. So the shift, there's definitely been a shift um, from a commerce perspective. Um, I personally was, yeah, like I said, big fan of those voices and kind of wished that I'd had more time to learn from them because their Mm. turn of phrase was just ridiculous. Like Doogie was such a craftsman on Mm. that and, uh, and he was a joy to work with. So... Yeah, a couple of shifts, but you just, again, so much of it is just rolling with it this year and last year and just doing what you're told and <laughs> trying to make it work. So, so it's when, a shift to younger? Uh, I don't know if it's shift to younger necessarily. It's it's more about the direction that they wanted to go and whether everyone was prepared to do that. So it actually, you know, what do you it mean was. By that? I feel like the commentary. You know, they wanted a little bit of more talking and, and a bit of banter and, and certain things, you know, certain a little bit more discipline in other areas in terms of when you are, like, for example, when I'm lead, if I'm doing leads, so I'm doing the leaderboards, I'm doing the scripts at the start. If I see something about a shot, that, that about how they played the shot, if I'm lead, I don't say it because it's not my job that week to be the expert. Uh, and so it's about those defined roles. roles. Yeah, and if you've grown up in golf, it's actually really hard for a lot of people to to have that discipline to not say it. But then 
everything kind of just gets blurred. So they're looking to have a little bit more structure within the team. I guess that would be the, the best way to sum it up. And because uh, then that actually makes the flow better and more clearly defined, I guess, in a way. So we're very lucky to have you here today. Is there, is there another return ticket in your hand to take take it back up again? Uh, thankfully, not at the moment. Um, as much as I love my job, it's just good to be home. It's actually, it's really hard to leave Australia. Like, I, mm. I know that, you know, it's seemed to be such, like I said, it's a privilege to be able to leave the country. It's a privilege to be able to come back. Um, and a lot of people are begging because we're a travelling country. Yeah. Like, we're, everyone's <clears throat> begging for their next adventure. And I, and I totally understand that. Uh, but it is, it's like, this is one of the best places in the world at the moment that where you just don't have to worry about much. You can travel domestically, uh, and, and look forward to that. But I, you know, it's, it's tricky no matter what position you're in, but I'm very happy to be home for about two months, which would be great. Great What's the status of your golf swing? Rough. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as bad as, as it should be. Cause you know, it's, it's like that thing that if you're, if I was in a desk job, it'd be really bad. Like if I was like away Blake from the game. No, but you're still within the game though. Like I feel like if I all of a sudden was an accountant, which would be the worst idea in the world, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd fit the bill there. But if I was doing that, then it would probably deteriorate more because every, sing, every single day I'm playing the course mentally. In your head. Yeah, and, and yeah. playing the shots that I'm looking at them. So it's kind of a weird mental practice. Well, as I said, we're delighted to have you back, Ellie. Uh, it is a big International Women's Week edition of the show, Blakey. We've got uh, very an assortment, a wide assortment of guests here. Karen Lund coming up, Jan Jelliff coming up a little later on, and you had a great chat, uh, which we'll listen to a little later on, with uh, the winners of the Visionary of the Year for February. Yeah, the Visionary of the Year is for, you know, people out in clubland who, who've done things to promote the cause of women and girls coming to golf. And we've got a couple from the Vines in Perth who, uh, who did, who've done a great job. Fantastic. Now, we'll get to all those a little later on. For now, let's turn our attention to uh, what's been going on around the the global game this week. Uh, I think all eyes were on uh, Bay Hill, Arnold Palmer Invitational, and rightly or wrongly, they fall on Bryson DeChambeau. What did you make of his, uh, well, victory for one and his... Oh, if I said antics, that that would create a negative image. I'm not trying to. I like his... Enthusiasm for the challenge the, for the challenges he took up and succeeded with at the week. Well, the he he shot eleven under, so he must have played pretty well. I didn't see a lot of it, but uh, what I did see and everyone else saw was him driving the ball over the over the lake on the par five sixth hole, which is uh, I think around a three forty yard carry. Uh, so he went pretty much three seventy. Well, he hit the ball three seventy, but that was how far it went. Gotcha. But to carry, it was about about three forty, I believe. Um, he didn't end up going straight for the green. He was off to the side a bit. But it was, you know, I, th- I find it interesting. I, it, the fans were going crazy behind the behind the tee, and he did these theatrics when he finally, you know, he needed the wind to be in the right quarter on the right day. I think it was the third day that he did it. Um, he ended up making birdie, didn't make eagle, but he, uh, you know, he did belt it over the over the corner. I, I think it's interesting what he does. I, I don't, you know, there's a debate about uh, how far the ball flies and how the the you know the big headed drivers and whether all that needs to change. But to me, that's not Bryson's fault. You know, Bryson's just using the equipment that's there and, and he's trying something that's different. And uh, good luck to him, I think. And he, you know, the the other thing is having seen him live, and you've seen him as well, Hazy, out here in Australia. He's a hell of a player outside of the fact that he hits it a long way. He's, you know, he's got a great short game. He's he's a fine player. So he had, I think, it might be his eighth win, is it? I think so. Yeah. Mm. I, I, 
I wanted to point out, I thought that, uh, and I've been very quick to pot Bryson, pace of play, histrionics with media, um, arguably pushing rules officials, not so much as others, but, uh, I, you know, I've jumped on him a lot. I'm falling firmly in the DeChambeau camp this week. I thought when he showed his exuberance for hitting the ball over the lake, that yeah. was magnificent. It engaged yeah. the fans. You could see what it meant to him. But more importantly, from my perspective, it showed that he could put something that he's been working on for years into play in a tournament. And I think he realises, geez, I've got this massive advantage over all these blokes here now. I was rapt to see it. And we'll talk about what it means in a second. But did you agree with that, Ali? I, I totally do. Well, yeah. I mean, he's got what's – he picked up seven shots in strokes gained off the tee last week. So it is a massive advantage. But he um, – I, I think he endeared himself to the crowds I actually by his reaction, by you know that sense of of showmanship and the the performance element to his game, and and in doing so, I think he had eighty eight yards left. Lee Westwood in the final day had two fifty seven <laughs> to the wow. same to the you know so it, it's significant. But again, when he got there and the wind wasn't right, I think it was on the second day, and you could see he so badly wanted to pull driver, yeah. and, and he just waited. He was like. We're, we're doing this. The people have come to see a show, you know, in a way that and I he, needed to do it. He had flagged it. So, you know, I mentioned it on the show last week. And as a matter of fact, with the players uh, being on this week, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, but so some people will have seen that some of this already. But he's uh, he was talking about driving down the left-hand side of the lake at Sawgrass, uh, which no one, I just, to my knowledge, has ever done. I think it goes out onto the ninth. Fairway, Hazy, you've played the course. I so, have, yeah. No, um, yeah, they've made it an internal out of bounds to stop him from doing it. So it's fascinating they can uh, they just adapt the up, rules up, up on the run. He's actually changing the face of golf routinely. It's a, it's quite remarkable. And I, as you said before, Blakey, I don't think it's against him. It's not a knock on him. He's no. just pushing the limits and, and making people rethink things. I, look, <clears throat> he's not everyone's taste, but I, I really liked. That he was so exuberant about an achievement, I just I thought that was fantastic. Did you hear what he had? What he did to celebrate? So I think I was reading. There's there was three things I can only remember two, and they're like, oh, so do, you know, do you go out for a drink? You know, do you have a bit of fun. He had chocolate milk and gummy bears. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Is that right? I'm like, I don't know how to take that. I'm not sure if that's you know the guy that you want your daughter to bring home, or. The opposite, you know. I can't, I can't, Is that part of bulking up? Because I should be looking him. really solid if that's the case. <laughs> Chocolate, anything to do with milk, Hazy. <laughs> Chocolate milk, I'm your man. Oh, protein shake. Anything, anyway. Did you take anything else out of uh, the Bay Hill? It wasn't uh, It wasn't a great week for the Aussies. No, it uh, wasn't. Jason Day made the cut but didn't really fire it particularly, and the others all, all missed out. Um, you know, Austin Ernst, Ernst, Ernst won the LPGA drive on alley. Did you see, mm-hmm. much, see much of that? Yeah, watched the Sarah majority Sarah Kemp of tied it. 34th was the best of the Aussies. Yeah, I mean, Austin, third win. Um, and it's interesting. So so Americans have won the first three events of the LPGA season. Uh, first, Jess Quarter, next, Nellie Quarter. They are the only two sisters that have multiple wins on the LPGA in history. Um, it has actually been done in two consecutive goes before, which I'm sure, you know, you've talked about this, since over the years um, where Charlotta, Annika's sister, actually only ever won once, and it was the week after Annika right. won. So they got that record, but it was they only had one crack at it, whereas the quarters are becoming more and more dominant um, force in, in, in golf. But now there's five, um, five Americans inside the top 15 in the world, and there's six South Koreans. And so I feel like they're really, like, coming in strong and, and have a real chance of four... Um, Four people from the USA representing 
The American side the in the Olympics, yeah, which is on a lot of their radars. But um, back to your point about Austin, mm. she said that her her win, kind of winning wire to wire, was such a different set of nerves. And I'd actually spoken to Nelly after her win the week before, and Nelly's like, "Dude, I was so nervous." And I said, "This is the thing that you're going to learn is that every win is different, and it's got a really different like the pressures feel different, you know, coming from behind. Like when she won in." Um, I think it was her second win in Chinese Taipei. She lost the lead. And I remember saying to her, Caddy Jason, that's the best thing that she could have done because it just totally got the, you know, it, mm. it got the spotlight off her and then she ended up the coming, back, yeah, coming back to win. Um, mm. And I just find that a really fascinating kind of equation that, you know, you just think, oh, it's just another win. And it's like, no, 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 every single win is a story. And, um, and for, you know, for Austin, yeah, she did a playoff, came from behind and then, has now done that, which is so, great. So still no Minji Lee and no Hannah Green in, on the LPJ, and there's now, an I think, a two-week gap. So we're coming around to the first major. They've, they, both of those players have you know, they've taken their time going over for their own reasons. But uh, it's interesting that you know, those events are going on and they're not, not, not uh, attending. I think it's really instructive as to their mindset about uh, you know, what's important to them. And so I it's really, majors. Well, it's majors, but it's... Rather than be at a <clears throat> a drive-on championship without denigrating it at all, they'll get more benefit from being at home, cuddled up in the you know the bosom of their family for another two or three weeks. Well, especially Hannah, Ali is uh, you know infamously, I suppose, or famously, you know, had struggles with with loneliness. So uh, any time that she can get back in Perth. Um, you know, is, is probably she's going to embrace. It's it, to be honest with you, it's more about hotel quarantine. Uh, that yeah. is the biggest factor in all of these equations, um, yeah. and I know from yeah, I know from my own experience, and mm. and and I'm lucky in the fact that obviously I'm not playing anymore, so my management of my performance is very different to theirs. You know, I don't have to come back and see a coach in Melbourne, mm. you know, to to do my job well. I don't have to get in the gym when a lot of the time on the road they're not being able to get into the gyms, um, trying to be safe and, and and that kind of thing in in areas that maybe are you know, a little bit more high risk. Uh, so that's that's number one. It is really difficult for Aussies and, and Kiwis to work out a schedule this year, more yeah. so than, I mean, I don't want to say any other country in the world because I'm sure that there's plenty that have similar restrictions. But in terms of 99% of the people on tour, it's it's tricky. And so that's why when I say I'm just happy to be home and that Australia is, you know, an incredible place to, to be living at the moment, I, I say that from experience because when you're on the road, you're in a bubble even before hotel quarantine. So it's actually quite a quite a tight existence um, from the time you leave the country. Mm, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that Australia and New Zealand have got that issue that others don't have because just because, you know, we've shut up shop. It's as simple as that. So to come home is a – it's a health factor. It's a, it's, it's a key part of what everyone's confronting this year. Blakey, you mentioned uh, – well, first of all, I should say that Symmetra 2 was back on, which is great, um, but you mentioned the Players' Championship – I just probably need to get your opinion on, and I'm using massive air quotes here, the fifth major. Oh, okay. So Evan Priest wrote a piece about this, I think, on Golf Digest the other day saying that that it should be the fifth major. Uh, I, I've never been a believer that it should be a major, the Players' Championship. It, it happens to be the flagship event of the PGA, uh, you know, of America, but no, the, PGA, the PGA Tour, yeah. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, I, I think that... Um, you know, if they were going to look at adding a major, I mean, the women added a major a few years ago when Evian came on. But if you're going to have another major, 
it has to be outside America, doesn't it? <laughs> I know I'm oh, preaching to the converted there, but surely funny. it needs to be in Asia or Australia or or Europe or you know. It, that's you, so funny, Blakey. You're better yeah. than that. Well, that's yeah. yeah I'm, I know that you agree with that. So, well, it's the equivalent of the European tour saying that Wentworth, you know, the BMW PGA should be a major. And, and, it, and, and no it, one says that, really, do they? Or, no, they yeah. don't. They just say yeah. it's their flagship event, and yeah. you know, with a lot of pride. Yeah, it's a great it's a great event, the the Players Championship, and uh, you know, it's a spectacular looking course. Uh, Hazy, well, you know, while you're talking about that, I, I've got to ask you about your your performance <laughs> there. I generally ask you about this every year when it comes around to that. Ali, have you played sawgrass? I have not. I've no, never even been to Sawgrass, but Hazy, for our listeners, uh, just for their benefit, uh, talk us through your birdie at number 17, the <laughs> Island Green. Come on. Oh, there's not much to say except I do have video proof. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I just hit it to about 20 feet and bin the putt and celebrated like I'd just won Tats Lotto. So it's pretty, pretty regulation video, I would have thought. Everyone's got that, Ellie, haven't they? No. no. <laughs> I actually can't claim it. One of the things that um, I found, I find and found interesting about um, TPC Sawgrass is I played it on the last day before they shut it down, um, back in a different schedule. <clears throat> it was like six weeks before. Um, it was basically before the Masters. That's why I was there, and it was shut down six weeks for preparation for that tournament alone when it was back in May. The difference between what I walked on and then what I saw on television six weeks later was ridiculous. Absolutely off the charts, stupid, ridiculous difference. Next thing was I watched the um, the official film of Jason Day winning in 2016 yesterday. Don't ask me why I probably <laughs> gave away an hour of my life to do that. But <clears throat> nevertheless, Day was 15 under through two rounds and he had the course just begging for mercy. It was the, it was the record beat Greg Norman uh, back in the mid-90s by a shot, and he, he could have done anything. They have the capacity there to crank that course up, almost like the Masters. They can turn that nasty in a heartbeat. They can mow things, dry things, do whatever. Um, I, I think it would be really worth watching this week if someone gets away, what happens the following round? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I find that stuff really interesting because tournaments, and particularly this one, which is the flagship event, and the PGA doesn't want to be made a mockery of, and the course isn't that long. You know, choppers like me can still play it. Uh, they've got to have a defence. So I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that this week above all else. I think Bring seven Aussies in the field, and uh, best of luck to Cam Percy who yeah. got in for the first time at 46 years of age. Uh, I think that's a great story. We've got something on that on the website today, and also Cameron Davis, who's a growing force, I think. Cam Davis, 2017 Australian Open champion. He's got a spot in the uh, in the players. And, and Hazy, we do have to get to Andrew Martin's performance, don't we? Absolutely. That's the next topic for discussion. Ali, I'm not sure how much you caught of uh, of the TPS um, at Bonnie Doon. Uh, uh, another great success. Those two additions to the PGA and WPGA calendars have been fantastic, haven't they? Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I love it. And I love that Australia is leading the way in, in that category. I'm just, I'm really proud of it. I'm proud to talk about it when I go away. Yeah. Uh, I find that I try and work it into commentary when nice. I can, when I'm not going to get my wrist slapped, you know, if it's if it's relevant at the time. Uh, but it's just, yeah, it is. It's something that I think really pumps up the chest of a lot of Aussies abroad and the, the way that they've given people here something to play in. And instead of just having men's events, they've given the women, you know, a chance to do the same. I think that's really important. Well, there were more women and more amateurs involved in, the, in a tight finish at Rosebud than there were at Bonnie Doon, Blakey. And we might ask Karen Lunn about that in, in a few minutes when she joins us. But, <clears throat> pardon me, we've got to pay attention or give 
difference to Andy Martin. I mean, a guy, who's, a guy who's been on tour for a long time now from Bendigo, lives down on the Ballerine Peninsula, but hasn't. he's been in everything but never won anything as a professional player. Charlie Dan's cruising along, sort of almost bowling along in front, um, you know, untouchable by one hour of just Martin magic. Well, to shoot 61, Ali, in a final round to win a tournament, that's that's a kind of a – that's a career there. That's a career moment for Andrew Martin. And, uh, you know, look, he's had an interesting sort of story in golf himself because he was the Australian amateur champion. Yeah. Uh, Ali, I don't know whether you come across him at all in, back in his yeah, amateur Yeah, we grew up day. together. Yeah. yeah, he was in the AIS when I was in the BIS. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. whenever we went down for the, the events down the coast, it was always my parents that were dropping them back at the AIS. <laughs> so 20, <laughs> Sunday nights 20, after we'd gone out for a couple of drinks after. So 2004, he wins the Australian Amateur and he's got big wraps on him. And then he goes into this, I don't know what you call it, the quicksand of, you know, pro, golf. pro life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's not let's not gloss over how he did this. He eagled the third, and there were some gettable holes late in the front nine at Bonnie Doon. Let's not make any bones about that. But he's eagled the third. Um, he's then eagled the seventh. And that's a career day for most people, anyhow. Two eagle rounds, yeah. Eagles the eighth. Oh, that's three. Eagles the ninth. Four. Four in five holes. So I think six holes. Correct. What am I talking? Six. Correct me if I'm wrong. He had two chip ins and a hole out with a with a full pitching wedge. Yeah, correct. The third was the pitching wedge, and and look, it's running his way, but you've still got to do that. And this is the final round, and he's watching his star climb up the leaderboard. I look, he's a nice he's a nice man, Andrew Martin. He um, is. He's lovely, and uh, you know what? That's something that people could wait their whole lives to do yeah. that in yeah. in club golf. You know, it, you know, oh. in terms of. High, obviously very high-level club golf, but to do that under the pump in a tournament with cameras on you, how cool. Yeah. And with speaking of the cameras, Blakey, I want to give a shout to um, the Fox crew and the KO crew who, who put that together. Um, fantastic. And Warren Smith, the anchor commentator, I thought was just next level. He was fantastic. Should do more golf. Wazza yeah. is a member at Bonnie Doon as well. Mm. So, yeah, six... Eagles has been done. Uh, sorry, it's the sixth time that someone's made four eagles on a major tour. I'm told, so that just show, shows you how how rare that is. The three consecutive, there's only two people done that on a major tour event. So who's the other one? Do you know? Uh, I wrote it. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that, Hazy. <laughs> I didn't see you. Oh, you could see Blake's face player. right now. <laughs> I knew I should have written that down. It was a European player. I think a guy from Finland. That's my normal answer whenever yeah. someone asks someone me if Finland. I don't if I don't know. Yeah, there's a bloke from um, just in northern Finland. That just sounded like <laughs> such a cop out. It, it was a rare day. It really was. And Elvis yeah. Smiley finished third. Hazy in his first event as a full professional player, which was very nice. Yeah, a great yarn from uh, Mike Clayton, our very own, uh, on the Golf Australia website. A first person piece again, having caddied for him at Bonnie Doon and it's uh, gee some of the comparisons are very strong I won't um, I'm not saying he's making direct comparisons but when you start putting Elvis Smiley in the same paragraph or next paragraph to Sebi Ballesteros and Greg Norman and uh, the ilk of those players it, it does create some sort of pressure and I had a fantastic chat with Ian Triggs Elvis's coach the other day I said do you think that this could affect Elvis like if he sees this stuff will it bother him he goes no no, and I, I just 
I, I will, I'm going to keep my powder dry for another show on what Triggsy told me. Just extraordinary. I, I, I think that everyone's so full of admiration for what he's doing now. But second and third in his two TPS events, you know what that puts him up to, Ali, in his last five four-round tournaments? I want you to tell me what you think his aggregate score is. He's passed five four-round tournaments. Into, okay. So it takes in things like Capera Bowl. Don't, don't worry about where they are. But so you want so you want how many under par? How many under par? And he's passed in five, four five rounds. So twenty rounds. Twenty rounds. Twenty rounds. Uh, I'm going to go ninety-one. Ninety-five. Ninety-five under. That's pretty serious. That's unbelievable golf. Mm. Like he's just that is next level golf. And we we sit here knowing that we've got great structural players. Like they've got really good fundamentals and whatever. But we bemoan the fact sometimes when they get under the pump that they can't get the ball in the hole. 25 under when you're a young kid <clears throat> trying to make your way. Uh, sorry, 95 under in, in, in 20 rounds is extraordinary. You're averaging 66-ish, 67, you trans- the par is. That's including a transition as well yeah. in terms of, you know, amateur to pro ranks. That That is so hard to do. It's so hard to keep that momentum going when you when you turn pro. It's and, just a different ball game. And as you read in Clayton's story, he's had a triple bogey here and double bogey there. It's not like it's all smooth sailing. Opportunities to fall. Yeah. 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 Mm. No, I'd look, the sky's the limit for Elvis, so that's fantastic. As we said, a shout to Charlie Dan, who was uh, thereabouts the whole way. Um, but, yeah, hats off to Andrew Martin and, and the WPGA and PGA for putting that on. It was just a, a great event and great to see it on television. Yeah, and I think that's just it, – it, this, this event goes to the teething part for me. Um, of getting women's and men's golf from, you know, talking to the players. It's, it, it was diff, more difficult at Bonnie Doon to get the, the women and the men on the, you know, on the same playing field, essentially, yeah. in the same level, having the same opportunities for birdie. And that is going to happen. Yeah. There's going to be times where it's out of balance one way and the other, but um, that's just goes to the, you know, the whole learning experience when you're trying to create something new. So total well, credit to them. I'll yeah, tell I think you. Grace Kim was the leading woman at tied 28. So mm. that, that didn't quite work, did it? I'll tell you what, let's uh, ask our next guest because she'll, uh, she'll have an opinion on that, I'm sure, and, and you know talk about perhaps what might happen in the future. So we'll be back on the other side of this break to chat to Karen Lunn about that and a whole lot of other matters. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back inside the ropes and it's with great delight that we welcome one of our regular guests to the show, Karen Lunn, the Chief Executive of the Women's PGA Tour. Karen, I, I love saying that now. I think that's just a fantastic new title. Yeah, good morning, Hazy. Um, yeah, thanks. No, I, th- I think that it really rolls off the tongue really well. And um, for a while I was having to almost correct myself every time and say I'm from ALPG. No, I'm not WPGA Tour, but no, it, it makes so much sense. And I think it's been um, the change of name has been really well received. So, uh, yeah, really happy about the result. And things are going well, I would imagine, without putting words in your mouth. I mean, the TPS at Rosebud and then at Bonnie Doon both seem to have gone beautifully from a WPGA perspective. Yeah, I think the TPS events in some way, some ways have been a godsend for our players that are here because uh, we wouldn't have had anything for them to play and obviously with our borders being closed and uh, international players not being able to come down here, we just don't have the numbers to uh, you know, to make events sustainable with, with WPGA um, Australian-based players only. So, uh, yeah, they've, they've been great. They've been really well received by, uh, by obviously, the, the host venues have been awesome. Um, the sponsors that have come on board have really enjoyed them and I think from the, from the players' side, I think uh, it's been really positive 
positive from both sides. So uh, I think everyone understands that it's just, you know, potentially a game changer for professional golf. Um, obviously, the, the challenge is scaling the courses, and, and that was probably a little bit more of a challenge at Bonnie Doon than it was at Rosebud. But, you know, we'll, we'll just keep working on that. And, um, yeah, I think, the, like I said, the players love it. And I think the junior element on the weekend, I think that what we're providing for the, for the young players is just an incredible money-can't-buy experience. So, uh, yeah, I think all, all around, um, you know, ourselves and the PGA are really happy with the first two events, and we, we plan to build on those moving forward. Just before we move on to the Queensland Open this week, what are the challenges you just mentioned in, in scaling the course? That Why are they different course to course, and how do you resolve that? Yeah, well, I think uh, firstly, it's it's what tees are available for, for women. Uh, we all know that uh, in terms of golf course design, women's tees and forward tees are often an afterthought. There's no real strategy applied to how we're going to build a golf course for women, though that might be changing in, in some spaces now. But um, I think that's one of the challenges. And at Bonnie Doon Golf Club, obviously, the redesign there, I think the guys did an amazing job and the course was absolutely fantastic. But um, there's so many cross bunkers and so many um, layup areas from the tee. It's not a long golf course, but you have to be very strategic and I think that made it a challenge when we're trying to achieve what we're trying to achieve and that is having the women and the men hitting the same clubs into the green so we don't want them playing from the same spot because obviously that means the guys are probably you know where they're, where they're hitting a seven iron the women would be hitting a five iron so um, that made it really difficult the landing areas were, were quite tricky so yeah it is it is a challenge there's no doubt at Rosebud it was it was a little bit simpler and the club were great they actually built a couple of new tees um, for us which was just incredible so um, yeah, we'll, we'll go back and look at Bonnie Doon and see what changes we can potentially make for next year. But we weren't we weren't a million miles away, that's for sure. Because it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting equation, isn't it? Because when you're presented with something that really is a world first, the way the way that they're doing it, obviously there was the mixed event um, in Jordan as well. But do you, in terms of your strategy, are, are you thinking all right? How many times are bunkers in play for the men versus the women and? And how does that become a part of, of the equation for, uh, for how you set up the golf course? Because that's part of it. Like sometimes a guy will go to the tee and they can just blast it over it, whereas, you know, two tees ahead, it's right in the middle of a landing zone for the, for the ladies. Exactly, and that, and that was the, part of the challenge last week, that we had a couple of holes where the women just literally could not, from any tee that was available, could not carry um, the cross bunkers, so they were having to lay up uh, with an iron or, or some sort of rescue club, and then they were having a rescue club into the green where the guys could um, clear, the, clear the fairway traps and have a wedge in. So there was really not a lot we can do in those circumstances, and, and the same with some of the short par fours at Bonnie Doon, which are great holes, but they were drivable for the for the guys, I think three of them, but for the women they weren't. Um, I think the 12th was drivable downwind um, two of the days for the girls, but there were just there was no forward tee for us to make them um, reachable for the women. So, you know, that was, that was a real challenge, and I think that we will be presented with these challenges along the way, but I think obviously, you know, our strategy is that you want to make it fair as you can. So if the guys can, you know, land a certain area, you want the women to have the opportunity to be hitting it into the same area. So, But it's just not that simple, and, and it's obviously, you know, we've got our hands fully in making sure that we um, choose golf courses for these events too where we can make sure that we can set them up as fairly as possible. Uh, temporary tees an alternative or is that just not aesthetically pleasing for the television coverage? Yeah, well, they might not be aesthetically pleasing. And I, th- I think I do think it's something that we're going to have to consider moving forward. Um, I, I don't think it's something we did consider this time, but I think that if we're presented with a, a golf course that, that doesn't provide the tee options that we, we really need, then I think we probably will have to do that. Yeah, I feel like if you do that and you chuck sponsor boards on, people won't know the difference. 
you know, there's a way of just blending that into tournament golf and <clears throat> pun made, but you have, you just have kind of a little bit more glitz and glamour on that hole and the, it's, it's kind of the, up yeah, to exactly. the, the equation of TV magic. That's right, exactly. If you can find a flat enough spot that's big enough to, to sort of build that tee around, and as you said, the tee markers, most people probably wouldn't even know. You're absolutely right. So it's just something we probably need to keep in mind um, moving forward to, to future TPS events. Now, Karen, speaking of game changes, uh, we've ripped you out of a series of meetings up at uh, Pelican Waters for the Queensland Open. Uh, there are six women now, I believe, with uh, with the uh, qualification of the amateur Jordan, Jordan yeah. the other day. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's fantastic for one, um, but there are bigger things in, uh, in play in coming years probably in your eyes, I would imagine. Yeah, and, you know, Golf Australia certainly, um, you know, flagged with us the intention is to run a Vic Open-style event in the future at the Queensland Open, which would be fantastic. We all know the, the success of the Vic Open and how quickly it grew from, you know, that, that first year, I think it was 2012, at uh, Springvale and Woodlands. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a model, that, again, we know it works. We know it's popular for, for all the stakeholders and the players and the fans. So, um, yeah, you know, we're hoping that that can work out for next year. And Pelican Waters is a great venue. It's uh, Obviously, they've got some, some people there. They're doing a lot of work on the course and the clubhouse and um, really trying to modernise it and get some, some younger demographics, uh, younger demographic into the club, which is good. So, um, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to that. And obviously the girls that are playing this week have got their hands full as well, trying to compete with the guys off the, the back tees. So it's a little bit different to a TPS event where the, where the tees are scaled. But, you know, it, it's not the longest course in the world. So we're sort of hoping that a couple of the girls can, can really put their hand up. But as you said, Jordan O'Brien shooting uh, 67 in the qualifier, that was an awesome effort. And, uh, be great to see how she goes this week as well. Yeah, she's a feisty little one, isn't she? Love it. Uh, I looked at her Instagram. It said, why be a sheep when you can be a goat? <laughs> Enjoyed Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Awesome, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you've got to have that confidence, as you know, Ali. You've got to back yourself. That's that's the name of the game. I think she works with Ali Orchard as well in her coaching, so it's very much yep. so a WPGA uh, win on both fronts, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, for sure, absolutely. And Ali's doing some great things in in the coaching world. We know that um, you know she's doing really well, very popular. I think she's booked out weeks or months in advance. So it's also so great, apart from our players, to see um, you know our coaches out there that are just doing such a good job. Karen, it's Blakey. Uh, just a more general uh, question. This it's obviously International Women's Day on Monday, and then International Women's Week as well. And we're talking a lot in this program today about. Uh, you know, the growth of the women's game and the, the uh, attracting of women and girls to the game. Um, I'm just wondering whether you think from your, you know, standpoint, do you think we're getting a change? Are we seeing a bit of a change of uh, scenario here? Are we, are we winning, starting to win this, this battle? Uh, I'm not sure if, if in Australia we're starting to win the battle, but I think there's so much... Uh, positivity around uh, women's professional golf around the world. I think that um, the LPGA, obviously under Mike's uh, stewardship, has just done incredibly well, and and the uh, the partnership with the LET, obviously the LET is really you know starting to th- to thrive, and I think we'll really see that uh, post COVID, if ever that happens, that um, you know the LET will be really um, in a much better place than they were. So there's so much good stuff going you know in around um, women's professional golf. I think here in Australia we've still got a lot to do in 
participation. We know that participation through COVID was through the roof, but you know, unfortunately, that didn't, those numbers really didn't translate to to many new women or girls playing. So that was really very much male focused for whatever reason. So I think we've still got our handfuls. There's still a lot we've got to do uh, here in Australia. But I think that you know, there, there's a lot of work being done with Vision 2025 and and other things that are going on. And obviously, we need to do that to ensure that in 20 years' time, we're going to you know still be producing the, the world class women golfers that we we've got a history of doing. It's certainly something that we need to keep pressing on with. But I, one thing that I always come back to is, is when I started playing golf in, in the Melbourne Sandbelt area, I essentially had one player within 20 minutes who was on single figures to play against. And, and you had the luxury of obviously having your sister Marty, who is an incredible player in her own right as well, Kaz. Like how, when you look at, at your childhood within the game, it has to be better than that because, like, for me it is. I look how many juniors we've got at my golf club now and it's it's skyrocketed. Yeah, I th- as you said, I think that the, a lot of the, a lot of clubs have really done a great job of doing it. I know Bonnie Doom, where we were last week, they've got 80 um, juniors in their program and 40 of them are women. So, you know, 50%. And I know there's a lot of clubs that, you know, are doing a lot of work in the junior space, which is, which is great. So, um, no, I, th- I think that probably it has improved since I was a kid, which is obviously a long time ago. But but you're right. I mean, <laughs> even when you started out, you know, not many, not many girls to play golf with and you just had to sort of be one of the boys and, you know, you know, beat if you wanted to get anywhere, you had to beat the boys, which maybe wasn't such a bad thing in terms of preparing you and you know get competitive and stuff and learning to hit the ball further, um, as you did, Al. So uh, yeah, I mean, I think things have definitely improved, but I think you know we've still got a long way to go. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, it's a good segue as well, isn't it? Back to the Queensland Open where you've got to tee it up against the boys. I actually didn't realise they were off the same tees until I looked at the odds for the week, actually, because yeah. I looked expecting yeah. to see someone like Steph Kiriakou kind of inside the top 10 or, or top 15 in terms of placement on the odds for the week. And then I found the first female down at 45th mm. on the rankings yeah. in terms of um, the betting side of the game, which I always find absolutely yeah. fasc- fascinating because I'm a numbers girl. But <laughs> I, d- I don't do it, yeah. obviously, because I'm very well behaved. Of course not. Uh, <laughs> Clearly not. Sometimes. <laughs> Karen, uh, do you remember when you used to go to tournaments and have fun and watch a bit of golf? Um, I'm never a big <laughs> golf watcher, to be honest. But I, I do, I, yeah, I do, I do remember going to tournaments. But no, I was never a big golf watcher. Obviously, I love playing, and um, I probably watch more golf on TV now than I ever have done, to be honest with you, just to try and keep you know in tune with everything that's going on in the golfing world. I just, I just can't imagine your schedule because in, in organising this, you've been very generous with your time, and I'm going to let you go right now. But it just seems like it's, uh, it's, it's manic. It's not something that's, uh, you know, part and parcel of the sport per se. It's just your crazy uh, calendar. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. And, you know, I, I do sort of sneak out a little bit. Last week at Bonnie Dean, it was great because you had the first tee right in front of the, the clubhouse on the 18th green there. So I did manage to see a little bit of the finish last week. But uh, and, I, and I just think watching those TPS events is just so much fun. You know, it's just it's so different. And I think that's why they're so popular. But uh, I think the Queensland Open this week will be will be a great event. I think that, Ali, to your point, I think the, the leading female um, in the odds in the betting is 46 to 1. To be honest with you, they might as well be 4,600 to 1 because I honestly, can't see any of the girls, um, you know, being able to beat the guys off the same tees. I think that that's just just not going to happen. But um, you know, in the TPS event, Sue played well. Obviously, at Rose Rosebud, and proved that you know, given that if the course is set up right, then we can have some really good competition. So, oh, I might take a bit of if, if I could bet, Karen. I might take a bit of Karis or Steph or someone at forty six hundred <laughs> to one at, on Lunbet. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, well you know, on Lundbert, yeah. Well, I mean, you never know, I suppose. But I just think, you know, it's so difficult for the for the, for the girls to compete off the same tees. Um, you know, I think I still think that they can put on a good show. I think that wouldn't surprise me if one of them finished in the top 10 or the top 20. But I still think winning's a bit of a long shot, so... Now, there's one thing that I do have to promote, and I watched the Azuzu parking challenge overnight. <laughs> yes. And it was Karis and Steph and Heath Ledger's stunt double, Jed Morgan, <laughs> uh, and Blake Windred as well. And that, honestly, that was the, probably the best nine minutes of my day. Which is, yeah, I know, agree. And, and I had a good awesome. day otherwise. <laughs> no, that was that was an awesome activation actually, and hats off to uh, to Golf Australia Queensland and to Isuzu uh, for that because I know that um, when I saw Karis and Steph yesterday, they were so looking forward to that challenge. Um, yeah, with great fun and, and great viewing, and I think you know we, we're, we're sort of nailing it with some of those activations. Last week at uh, the TPS, we had the activation with Danielle Kang and Hannah with the with the rookies and and Kari and uh, with some of the juniors. So I think I think there's some really good stuff coming coming you know, coming out within the tournament, so, uh, which is obviously good to promote the game. Hey, Karen, speaking of videos from the Queensland Open, I did see a little bit of footage, slow-motion footage of Ash Barty hitting a ball oh. in the Pro-Am, uh, which was outstanding. We all know, yep. obviously, that she's an outstanding golfer. I think she's playing off about four at the moment, and she won the Brookwater Club Championship. I was just wondering whether you'd had a little quiet chat to her about when she might you know, retire from tennis. Does she? Does she just flick across to to golf? Do you think? Yeah, well, no, they can't. Sure they can't play tennis past past about thirty two or three. Well, that's right, exactly. And I mean, she's a very nice, fine player. I mean, oh, absolutely. And I, and I think actually looking at a swing yesterday, I think that you know she's been doing some sneaky work on a golf swing because the last time I saw her swing a club was probably over a year ago, and and I think that's improved quite a bit. So I think that there's been some work going in uh, on the driving range as well as on the uh, the practice course. I love it. Yeah, the last time I saw her golf swing, she was hitting a ball at my head for the President's Cup promo when I was standing out on an island <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the Yarra. And, uh, yeah, and it looks good then. Rough. It looks better now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, there's some sneaky work going in. But, you know, it's great to have somebody like Ash that's such a keen golfer. Um, I know her and uh, Louis Dobolo are really good mates, and they played together in the prime yesterday. So, uh, yeah, any, any, you know, any time that she can tee it up in one of our proams or, or one of our events, we'd love to have her. Unofficially, 38 points, I reckon she had, Blakey. That's what I heard on the grapevine. So that's pretty good off four. Very handy. (laughs) Karen, we really appreciate your time. I just want to um, alert everyone to the TV coverage of the Queensland Open, the Isuzu Queensland Open, being broadcast on Fox Sports and KO. And um, we've got a big listenership in New Zealand uh, for this podcast. So it's on Sky Sports over there. Saturday, 2 to 5 Australian Eastern Time and Sunday 12 to 5, so five hours of coverage from Pelican Waters, which is fantastic. Karen Lund, the Chief Executive of the WPGA Tour, thanks so much. You're a regular part of our podcast now, which we're delighted about. Thanks for making time today. No, thanks, guys. Great to catch up. Karen Lund there, and who better to have at the helm than someone that played on tour herself, managing how to merge the men's and women's game. Great to chat with Kaz. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have the next guest on. Her name is Jan Jelliff, and she's been a big part of uh, a couple of the lives of the ITR hosts, uh, Stacey Peters and myself. She is a member at Victoria Golf Club, and she's been absolutely instrumental in uh, building their junior girls program. Jan, good afternoon to you, and good to have you on the show. Thank you, Ali, and thanks for that big wrap-up. It's a bit overdone. (laughs) 
<laughs> See, this is the exact reason that we need to have Jan on the show because she is possibly one of the best unknown characters uh, on the Melbourne sandbelt. And uh, I think there's a couple of things that we can all take away from what she's brought to the game uh, over the years, not to mention the fact that she pretty much uh, was uh, instrumental in, in uh, well my own development amongst uh, many others and many of the next generation to come in in Melbourne golf. Jan, can you tell us a little bit about when you started getting involved with the junior program at Vic, how many girls there were that were actually kind of lingering around the club and and how you got to be a part of that? Okay, I can tell you that. Um, I was uh, invited to go on the committee in 2008 when my friend Lynn became captain she asked me to come on and manage Pennant because she worked and I took that job in the November and there were two lovely ladies doing junior girls two Jones and to my knowledge there were four girls who played sometimes on Sundays and maybe a couple of others but we they resigned in that October and we went for six months asking would someone take the junior girls and I had a husband say don't take the junior girls <laughs> and anyway when the pennant season ended in May six months after then became captain there still was no one and someone on the committee said Jane you've got to take the junior girls so I said okay and that day I drove into my driveway and there's a girl walking up the street with a bag of clubs <laughs> so I ran across and said I'm Jan from Victoria. Would you like to join my junior girl program, which I didn't have? <laughs> and she said yes, and her dad's saying yes. And she was a 12-year-old, and um, she had a handicap already. And so she joined. And then I, I looked around, and our club had 80 boys. We had a junior boys championship. We had junior boys, all sorts of things. But And they played Colts, Pennant, and we really had nothing. So I advertised. I advertised in um, golf shops, uh, driving ranges like Sandringham, MGA. And fortunately, where Evelyn was having lessons at MGA, the pro there sent me about six golfers in a month. Who'd, a lot of girls seemed to be having lessons, but they didn't have somewhere to actually play. So we started the program, really, and it, it just sort of grew like Topsy. We didn't plan how it happened, but we had to adjust as, like, we had beginner girls who uh, really needed clinics. We had girls with some golf who needed to get handicaps, and then when they proceeded from that, they needed to become members and play. And other women joined me and helped too. I, must, I didn't do it on my own. But by the time I left the program, about eight or nine years later, we had about 80 girls. Which wow. is which is unbelievable. Now, one of, <laughs> one of your special talents, Jan, is A, making people feel very comfortable, but it was also essentially, you know, breaking down uh, people's idea of what it was to be a member of a Sandbelt club and, what, and kind of what, what came with that. You know, we're talking 15, 20 years ago. Um, but it was it, there was an, still an element of kind of hoity-toitiness yeah. to it, and and that's something that you kind of I feel like you almost single-handedly took over in terms of demolishing that in in the best kind of way um, at Victoria. Can you tell us about a couple of your strategies and how you did that? Now, the anti-hoity-toity strategy. Yes. 
<laughs> no, no, we had no hoities, hoities. That is. What about Ali? Ali. Victoria. Any hoity toity in Ali? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I tend to swear a bit, but I didn't swear at the girls. You didn't. <laughs> anyway. You didn't swear at them. <laughs> no, I might have sworn with them. <laughs> I have to say, when some of us look back, we thought we were always kind to them. There's no point. Um, golf's a hard game to learn, very hard, and it's got so many rules that you can't lob them all on them. We tried to do it gently. We tried to um, gently teach them how where to park their buggies even and how to score cards and and how, and something about the rules. And I must say, we did it with kindness. And that was really the basis of it, that um, you didn't, you know, tick them off all the time. We did have a few girls mostly trying to impress their fathers who were tending to fudge their scores a bit. <laughs> so we sat them down and talked to them nicely and we said, we don't think you're cheating, but we think you're not quite scoring right and helped them through that. And I'm pleased to say they are all still members. And basically we, took, we treated them gently. We had to defend off members sometimes. Originally the men... Have said to me, we don't want those silly girls running around here. And also women, some women would say, oh, they're taking our times on Thursday, they should be at school. And oh, they're too slow or they're on their phones. And I would say to the women, there's women in this clubhouse who are very slow. There's women who are on their phones. You don't report them, but they'd come and report the kids to me. And I'd say to them, that's junior bashing. And there's an element of it in clubs, and I tried to defend the girls from that. Yeah, well, I think, like, just making the environment safe. You know, you said that you were kind to them. You also had a a very decent lacing of mischief, which for a young... If you're a 13-year-old and you are going to kind of interview, in a sense, at a sandbelt club, and you get to the first green and you're nervous because you want to impress them, and then the woman that you're playing with drops a naughty word on the green... <laughs> you know, an S or an F bomb or, or something like that. All of a sudden, you relax. It was. True. I always felt that was a, an incredible way of just reminding everyone that everyone's. You know, you're human. You're you're allowed to have yeah. a bit of fun. Like we we used to. Well, you know, thinking back true. to the Christmas tree as well, Jan. Like the Christmas oh, tree yeah. on the back of the twelfth. Yeah. We Tell people about that. Just, well. We had a Friday group who played and um, we decided we'd mischievously dress up this tree at the back of the 13th green. So we um, all bought tinsel and we decorated this whole tree up, and, you know, much to the chagrin of the course managers. We also used to have a friend lived across the road from the 13th green and we used to lob balls from her front lawn over the road and over the trees onto the 13th green. <laughs> <laughs> And we used to we used to pinch the flags and bring them home after we'd won a pennant flag and run around naked in them. I don't tell people that. <laughs> we might have to really? bleep that. <laughs> so yeah, we we did we did try and make it. Well, without trying, we did make it fun. Yeah, and I think that helped a lot. It wasn't that serious. And when the girls play bad shots, unfortunately, often dads would growl and say, you know. We all pay bad shots. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I mean, also, some of the first girls, one in particular, used to do handstands down the fairway if she lobbed it on the green with her wedge. Well, we never told her not to. Why would you? 
In fact, someone saw them from the street and said, what are those girls doing? And said, well, they're having fun, you know. Yeah, it did Good help answer. a lot. Good answer. <laughs> So, Jan, what would yeah. you say to uh, to people, you know, if they've got a little bit of fire in them? And, and, you know, it's not change isn't always popular. And I know that there were times um, throughout, you know, your time within Golf Victoria as well as, um, you know, as a whole and, and and at the Vic Golf Club where, you know, you you kind of have to keep pushing and, uh, and it's it's not always the popular way. But what would you – what advice would you give to, to people around the country who – who have that kind of burning to, to make a change in their in their little section of uh, of our golfing paradise? Well, uh, I, my first advice would be to make it fun. You really can't make golf that serious. It's a very hard game to make a living at. We all know that, but it shouldn't at a club level be that serious and that difficult and that um, angry. You know, we shouldn't be angry about golf at all, and neither should the members. Yes, but. Uh, there was a lot of history in golf of older members who were sticklers for, you know, ties and belts and dress codes and all sorts of manners. And while some of that's good, it's not, you know, not all good for beginners, is it? So if that's done in the wrong way, Jan, that that can drive away. That has driven away kids uh, from golf many times. That, oh, for that, sure. That, that moment. Oh, for sure. When some member comes and ticks them off, their socks are the wrong colour. That kind of stuff. Yep, yep. It's it's been very. It was very difficult. However, it was probably the time when I started was when things were changing. And honestly, a lot of those men who were critical when they later stood on the tee and watched those girls swing, they changed their minds and and became you know backers of the girls because. And our pennant team is almost all junior girls that have come through, and. I mean, when we got up to 80, quite a few have left and gone to other clubs. And we're pleased about that because we did it for golf and we did it for women. And it doesn't matter if they don't all stay at Victoria. A lot of their dads were at other clubs like, you know, Boyle and Huntingdale and they play against us. But we're happy about that because we had the right motive of four women and four girls. Now, Jan, we've had the very good fortune of watching Alison Whitaker and Stacey Peters ply their trade around the world and uh, both turn professional and have successful careers, uh, and even now in, in, with a microphone in front of them. Can you believe that the two girls you sort of took in down at Victoria have gone on to play such a prominent role in the world of golf? Oh, no, not at all, really. I mean, I, you always hope for them and you always think they're good enough, but then it's it's such a, a big change to go around the world. Yeah, I'm very proud of them, very proud of them. They've been terrific girls and they're, they're good advocates for the profession, really, because um, they're um, good, happy people and, and they're good to other golfers and good to the juniors as well. Uh, they, they've been terrific. I've actually... Um, boarded about 15 junior girls at times, different times, professionals and amateurs. So, but I've got five kids, so I kind of got a lot of kids and grandkids. So I'm kind of used to being with young people a bit. Uh, now, you've told us the nice things about Ali, but Martin and I are sitting here wanting the bit of dirt that we can use uh, in later life. <laughs> um, you must have something to share with our listeners. Oh, <laughs> no, no, she's just beautiful. Oh, Jan. Yes, Jan, yes. No, Jan. You can no, stay. I, I, <laughs> oh, she can be fiery. I've known Elle to be fiery. We had fun. <laughs> I caddied for 
I caddied for both Al and Stacey when they won the Big Open. And Al and I, I was thinking about it today, around Moona, she'd had a bad week. She'd been in hospital and she uh, was struggling to concentrate. But really working out the yardages were just horrendous because you had to stride out to a sprinkler head. Then you had to add it or subtract it. You had to add or minus the distance the flag was on. Then when you got it in metres, you had to convert it to yards for her because she was, you know, used to playing out the service. And doing these maths, I think we had a few barnies about that. He calling but, me high uh, maintenance, Jan. Oh, you were that day. You were that day. <laughs> <laughs> the day That's of the what... final. Well, you, she wasn't well. Yeah, she wasn't well. I had to just... Uh, uh, you know, cosy her home, she, but she she got there to her credit. She did. Yeah. There's one thing I know for sure, though, in terms of the the careers that you've uh, you've influenced. That I'm not sure that they would have got to the same level without your encouragement. And uh, and same with the next generation coming through. You're a bit of a legend. Everyone from almost every Sandbelt Golf Club knows who Jan Jellif is <laughs> for a reason. Oh, that's, that's that's amazing to me. I just think I'm just an average person, really. <laughs> No, but the way that you took Stace in as well, and you took her into your home yeah. when she was uh, just a country girl from Colac and, sure and made her part of the family. I remember my 21st birthday, Jam was actually Cressy, there. I think. Yeah, 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 from Cressy. But she, um, I, I had a angels and devils 21st birthday. And uh, Jan and her husband, Bill, both came as hell's angels, full oh. leather. Wow. Hilariously wow. full leather. Commitment was oh. key, and that's. Uh, I feel like that's a great note to end on in the fact that it kind of sums uh, up the way uh, that you are as a, as a human and the way that you create fun and uh, and a real, quite a special environment um, that is growing as a result of your uh, your participation. So I think we'll leave it there for today, though. Jan Jellif, um, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Jan Jellif there. And... Uh, Feisty. Legend. Good word. Legend. I, this is really important, though, that you know we get these stories out on an International Women's Week, and, and it's it's key. So really, thank you for bringing it to us, Ellie, and we loved hearing Jan's tales. And with that in mind, another great Visionary of the Year tale coming up. Martin Blake's caught up with a couple of special guests on the other side of this break. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. We've got a couple of award winners on the program this week, Anna Maria England and Mark Tibbles, who's the pro at the Vines Resort in Perth. Uh, That pair won the Visionaries of the Year for February. Now, the Visionaries of the Year is a Vision 2025-related award that Golf Australia gives out each month, in this case for February. For people who uh, contribute something to the cause of Uh, Vision 2025, which is about uh, women's participation and girls' participation in golf. They picked up a $500 Drummond Golf voucher and uh, they're in in with a chance of winning the the Visionaries of the Year, which carries a $10,000 Callaway uh, range pack. Uh, So congratulations, guys. Uh, First of all, Mark, um, tell us a bit about what you did and how you drew... Anna Maria, who's a uh, community instructor, uh, into this whole mix? Sure. Well, I, I taught Anna Maria golf over the years, and I, and I just thought with her passion and interest in golf that someday she might like to be involved in the industry. 
Um, and knowing my teaching style and philosophies, she was uh, an obvious choice when I was looking to appoint a community instructor. And uh, you two uh, got together and started some programs at the Vines, and I think that you know the end result that was quoted in the article we published on the on the website the other day is that there are, I think, three hundred and fifty new female players at that at that club as a result of what you've done over over the last few years, just encouraging women and girls to come in there. Yeah, well, we've had um, a number of game development programs. One is our women's program, Got to Get Golfing, which has attracted um, t- over two hundred. Um, ladies through 2020 um, we've also got a special needs program and there were another 50 or so ladies from there plus we've got a girls program so yeah across all our programs female participation has, has really taken off and uh, you know Anna Maria has been a big huge part of that. Just before I get to Anna Maria uh, to, to ask her some questions Mark what did you make as a pro of that community instructor program because for people at home who don't understand it you, you might like to explain that but in short it's it's for it's for i guess a, a level underneath a pro um where you, you know you don't have to be a plus two marker to, to get into that program but you can help people uh with their with their golf so what did you think of that sure. as a pro um well it, it was perfect for me because you know the programs i'm running we've, we've generally got eight ten people in a program and and um you know, teaching groups, it's quite hard work. It's got to the stage where we've got 20 groups a week. So to have someone on board assisting me, um, and I was particularly interested in finding someone who was going to help with the ladies' programs. Um, so, as I say, Anna was a perfect choice. She plays off six handicap, which adds to her credibility as an instructor. Um, and I think people value the fact that particularly the ladies that they've got a female coach and a male coach um, when they're having their lessons. Anna Maria if you can hear me uh, you must be very proud you must be very proud of this because uh, you've you've really achieved something and I know that it it is your passion. Yeah it's very exciting it's um, something I had never ever expected and it's um we've had wonderful feedback from all the women and um you know, some of them, one of them last week said golf has changed their life, so it's very rewarding. You've played golf all your life. Um, you know, what brought you to... I started in my, yeah, I started in my mid-twenties. Oh, right, yeah. <clears throat> uh, what brought you to this uh, side of golf, you know? Uh, was it, I think I read that your, your career was winding down and you were looking for something to kind of get your teeth into, and, and you, you do... I mentioned your passion for golf, but it, you, you know you you have a passion for drawing women and girls to golf as well, specifically, don't you? Yeah, well, I know what I got out of golf. You know, there's so much pleasure, and um, I can I can see that with the women who are playing now, and that the women who are attracted to the game, um, they're just loving the new friendships, they're loving being outside, and they're loving the sport itself. And I'm just very grateful that I can combine my passion with my job. Anna Maria, do you sense a change in the world of golf uh, t- towards, you know, I, I think it's it's a public record that we have an 80-20 split between men and, and women and, and boys and girls uh, in golf, which is something that the sport's not proud of. Uh, now, we might not ever get it to 50-50. It doesn't necessarily have to get to 50-50, but 80-20 is a little bit lopsided to say the least. So 
Uh, do you, but do you sense in the last year or two with Vision 2025 and a few of the other things that are happening, do you think that it is changing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, particularly our course, I can't speak about other courses, but um, our programs are really attracting a lot of women and they're spreading the word about what we're doing. So we're getting growth in our membership. We're getting uh, a lot of young girls, as young as four, coming now and and it's challenges to nurture them and retain them and get them into membership as well. Mark, I wanted to ask you that same question. Do you think it's changing? Do you think that golf's attitude is changing? Are we, as a game, are we embracing women and girls a little better than what we have in the past? Absolutely, yes. It's certainly, certainly a greater focus, I think. Um, I think Golf Australia and the PGA are working together to really assist with inclusion, um, get the pros on board with whether it be women or whether it be special needs or um, Indigenous, uh, underprivileged. And, and, and I think there is a, um, a great focus on that at the moment. And um, there's a huge market out there. There are a lot of people out there that are probably afraid to have a go. But um, if they're welcomed um, and you can make them feel comfortable, uh, then, of course, you know, it makes a huge difference. Again, I'll ask both of you this question. Uh, What what do you think uh, have been the roadblocks in the past to better female participation and what what needs to happen to make that better? You go first, Mark. uh, You go first, Anna Marie. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Um, Gender equality, um, especially at our club. um, You know, many years ago when I was at a different club, we were associates, it was very much all about the men. Um, just that just doesn't happen at all now. So, and we have uh, equal competition days where all it's all inclusive, and um, yeah, women are just made to feel very welcome here. So, do you have uh, blocked out tea times? For instance, can women play on Saturdays at the Vines? Oh, definitely. So yeah. Yeah. you might get a flight of two men and two women. Um, Tuesday is traditionally Women's Day, but we, luckily we have two courses, so the men get to play in their comp as well. But every other day it's combined um, competition. Very good. And Mark, uh, what are your thoughts on that? What what do we need to keep doing to, to be better at this? Um, <clears throat> well, I just I just think just encouraging more women to play, give them opportunities to actually get into a facility and have a look and get a feel for what golf's all about. I think getting them through the door, through the gates, can be intimidating. Um, and so I think golf clubs have to do what they can to um, to just make everybody feel welcome. One of the things that we do with our golf lessons um, is we include coffee with every class we do. So the ladies are encouraged to stick around for another 30 minutes, 40 minutes, Um, We can discuss things golf-wise or they can get to know each other better and it makes a huge difference making people feel welcome and comfortable and um, building friendships is a huge part of the whole thing. Well, look, guys, uh, that's tremendous that you've you've won that award. It's it's much deserved. Uh, I should mention while we're we're on this topic that that Golf Australia is looking for nominations for the March uh, Visionaries of the Year Award. We haven't seen too many entries yet. You can do that through the uh, Golf Australia website. But uh, Anna Maria and Mark, thanks so much for your time and congratulations on your work. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Martin. It's a pleasure. Well, Hazy, 350 new players yeah. uh, attracted to the game. That's, that's got to be good. We've talked to some great 
grassroots people today about attracting women and girls to the game, which is so important. Uh, general business, Hazy. Uh, I'm just going to quickly throw in before I go to you, the Riversdale Cup was played last weekend. Janith Wong, who's a absolute gun young player, I think 16 years old or maybe even 15 from Metro, uh, she won the Riversdale Cup women's for the second year in a row. I think she's only the sixth back-to-back winner. And she won it by a lazy 12, Ali. She, she <laughs> tends to destroy fields. I think she won a Vic Junior Open by a similar margin. Andrew Richards, who's the, also the New South Wales amateur champion from Pennant Hills in the west of Sydney, won the men's, and Warren Sutton won the all abilities. Uh, what have you got for us, Hazy? Well, I want to mention on this International Women's Week, um, you mentioned Andrew Richards there. Did you know, Ali, that Rachel Bailey is his coach? I didn't, but I know Rachel Bailey. That's great. Yeah, I figured you would. And I think that's it's uncommon mm. for a guy to have a female coach. And I'm going to try and get Rachel on because I reckon that's really good. I think she's uh, got a good story to tell there already. So, Fanny Sunison, of course, coached for a while, didn't she? Did she? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Who did? That'd be right, yeah. Did she yeah, coach so. that bloke from Finland? She coached Henrik <laughs> Denson. Oh, so Sweden, but not Finland. Caddy Dan potentially mm. coached, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, she's an interesting woman. Mm. Uh, I want to make mention of, and I'm, oh, actually, Ali, I'm going to throw it to you. Have you got any okay. honourable mentions? I love how you I've... do that. You look it's at your good. computer it's and then good, you it? can't find what you're looking for, so you just throw it to me. Um, yeah, honourable mentions <laughs> for me, uh, Jennifer Cupcho, who was right in the thick of it um, on the final day in Ocala, Florida. Um, we talked about Austin Hertz. Um, Austin Ernst walking away with the win. Cupcho is one to watch. You like, I I mentioned to you guys, world number twelve. She is so sneaky under the radar. She was the girl that walked away with the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur in that duel with Maria Fassi, and she got like the kind of big dip in her golf swing, but she's steely. Yeah, and it's so funny. I did an interview. This is a bit of a tangent, but I did an interview with her in uh, the end of 2019. We were in Japan. She was playing well there. And it's a tree-lined golf course. And she says she comes up to me before we start and she goes, are you going to ask me, you know, if this looks like Augusta? And I said, not if you don't want me to. And she goes, okay. And then we get into the interview and she goes, yeah, well, it looks a bit like Augusta oh. National. And we both, at the end of the in- interview, we both just absolutely lost laughing. I said, I told you I wouldn't ask it. And then you've launched in. And she goes, yeah, that was my bad. That's hilarious. Um, so she's got a, she's got a Quite a bit to like about her, but including just like incredible mental fortitude. And uh, Alban Valenzuela from Switzerland, great to see her playing well. She threw out a 66 in the third round, which was rainy, miserable, uh, off the back of it having what well, she had a, a neck injury, she had her appendix out, and she's had COVID in the last, I think, six to eight months. Oh, wow. And, uh, and she's just one of those people. You can put her on the board of the UN. She, this girl is so impressive. Like she went to Stanford, just. Ticks across the board, great girl. Well, she did number one amateur for quite a while. Yes, yeah, I, yeah, at least top three. I think she was maybe number one when she when she went to college okay. um, throughout that period. But just another name to notice. And then I've got to say, love seeing Jordan Spieth in the mix again in yeah. the men's. He's great. He moves the needle for me. Yeah. He's one of those people that when he's on, like the you know the back and forth between he and Mike Grella, um, I just love it. So great to see him on the screens. I think it's his third top five in his last four starts. So watch that space Are you worried again. that he's not going to get over the line like he used to? I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but mm. I liked. I just liked watching him. I think he's, he adds yeah. a different kind of excitement. So they're my three honourable mentions. Thank you, Hazy. Now back to what you were going to say. <laughs> I have found it now, so that, that's perfect timing. You are welcome. I, I did want to just make special mention of this, and pardon the pun, but uh, Special Olympics Australia and Golf Australia have come up with a, uh, a unique partnership 
uh, this week we announced um, a My Golf for All program through sporting schools. So it's going to allow um, people with um, autism and other intellectual disabilities a pathway to get from just having a swing into a My Golf program, which I think is fantastic. And uh, I know that Christian Hamilton is is uh, building a really great reputation with Special Olympics Australia and overseas, and he's hell-bent, Blakey, on getting uh, golf into the Paralympics when that all comes about the next time for a vote. So that's a special one. I know that uh, you, you, not that you're into the Special Olympics golf per se, but it's, it's, a, it's a good achievement, isn't it? Fantastic. Christian Hamilton, superb. He's a good man. Yeah. We should get him on here more often, to be honest. Take yeah. advantage of him. Uh, I did want to also, one last thing from me as I flick around my computer here, the New South Wales Open, which we haven't talked about too much, is coming around uh, at Concord Golf Club. Uh, We've got a week off after the Queensland Open this week and then we're down to Concord for the final event, a $400,000 event. I guess it's almost the the key event on the PGA Tour of Australasia this year. Uh, Five amateurs were given an invite this week. Couple from the Hunter Valley, Josh Fuller and Corey Lamb, Avondale's Chris Fan, uh, Louis Dobler, the Australian Open champion, and Hayden Hopewell from Perth. So, um, some good names there, and I'm sure that that tournament's going to be a cracker as well. Well, that's just about it. Uh, anything else you need to put on the table, Ellie? No. Blakey? I just want to mention that on the golf.org.au website today, there's an article I was meant to mention earlier about what golf does and doesn't do to retain young parents as members of their clubs because they all go, you know, a lot of them go away when they have their first, second child and we hope that they come back, but a lot of them don't. So uh, we've had a bit of a look at that. We're just asking the question whether, you know, maybe golf should do a bit more. So Have a retention strategy? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Maybe keep them engaged. It's that sort of 25 to 40 year age group. So we had a bit of a look at that today. So I'd like people to go and have a look at that. I think that's a thought play. provoker. Yeah, well, I was speaking to my friends about it the other day, actually, and uh, and her husband plays golf, and she said, "There's something to this because you know it takes up half a day as well mm. away from the kids." <laughs> and she goes, <laughs> yeah. "I need to think of something <laughs> that's the equivalent amount of time." And I was like, "Why don't you just start golf? Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, play on a different day. I'll take you out." So yeah. anyway, uh, I feel like that is very, very um, relevant. And, and something to be, yeah. yeah. Maybe we can start discussions about, about crèches at golf clubs instead of cigar rooms or whiskey rooms or think something like that being a bit controversial here. Something that makes little kids welcome at clubs, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that crèche idea. I mean, the LPGAs, they used to have two two kids in their, what mm. is it, the Smuckers crèche that they have. Um, and, uh, and now it's like brimming because of the baby mm. boom on the LPGA, but it just takes so much pressure off. And, and it means that, you know, you see players back out there three months after giving birth, which is incredible, but it's just something that definitely impacts, yeah, 25 to 40-year-olds for sure. Awesome. Thank you very much, Ellie. Great to see you back behind that microphone. It's been way too long. It's so good to see both of your faces and to just golf geek. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And not just about one tour to to go across the border. I always love this. It keeps you really sharp. And I shaved so it didn't mix me up with hazy because some some people (laughs) call me hazy sometimes, you know. He's so famous that, you know. I'm going to start charging you a fee for that name. Anyway, that's that's about it. Episode 198. Hopefully Andy Ma will be back here and be far more organised at the reins next week on Inside the Ropes.